Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote in the letter to Corinthians, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. You know, I love that we just did that with our whole team is because I couldn't have done this by myself. Absolutely not. Uh, My weaknesses are just too strong. Um, And I just wanted to boast a moment in my weaknesses uh, to let you know what you're dealing with. (laughs) Um, uh, Friends, I I take too long to make decisions, and my wife can tell you that. Uh, (laughs) My mom is telling you that. Um, I frequently deal with depression and anxiety. Uh, I didn't realize it, um, and I would have never admitted that a couple years ago, but three months into this journey, I started getting major headaches. I thought I was dying. I thought I had a, a brain tumor. I was really, it was a really dark time for me. And I went to about four or five different doctors, and I finally remember sitting there with a neurologist one day, and the guy gave me what was basically a 45-minute psych evaluation, <laughs> and he says at the end of it, he goes, man, you got a lot going on. And, it's, and, and what happened in that moment was the Spirit of God was actually showing me that my body will manifest anxiety before I realize it. So my body was indicating to me that there was anxiety uh, happening. And, and I still struggle with those headaches, but it's become something that I can pay attention to. Um, I want to frequently give up and quit. I don't know about you, but in this endeavor, I think I've had several times where I've said to somebody, seriously, should we go on? Should we? I didn't do it this week. <laughs> um, but but that's, that's for real. Um, I'm a workaholic. Um, I don't really know how to rest well. Uh, many, maybe some of you can relate to that. Um, I can run people over to get jobs accomplished, and I've had to learn how to put people over production. People first over production. Uh, and I, I have to say that I care way too much about what you think of me. And some point... Somewhere between 3 p.m. and 10 a.m., like 3 p.m. later today and 10 a.m., I will start playing in my mind all the things I could have said differently today and wondering, well, what did he think? What did she think? Oh, I could have said this. Why didn't I say it like that? Um, And that's just the reality. But friends, I'm weak. Um, And I'm sure as we get to know each other, you'll probably see more weaknesses that I've not broadcasted here. Um, But the thing is, my weaknesses don't define me. They're not the final story. They're not the end. But this is our dream as a church, is that we could be a place where we bring our weaknesses, our beauty and our brokenness, to be refined and processed by Jesus. And we say to be restoried. That's not what defines me, so what does? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Everybody has a story. Every one of us. We are story-formed. They shape us. They speak to us, right? We all be, have been born into some kind of a story. When you meet somebody for the first time, you don't say, hey, give me some facts about your life. Tell me, like, just lay out all your production or all your statistics. No, we say, can you tell me your story? Yeah, somebody said name. Yeah, maybe after you get the name, then you say story. Like, yeah, I know your name now, so we attach a name, we make them human, and then we say, well, what's the story? Weave together those facts and that information into something like a narrative that I can understand how you got to where you are. And, um, you know, Delco has a story. Uh, we moved here three, about two and a half years ago. Uh, I grew up 15 miles from here in Montgomery County, uh, and I never really knew much about Delco. It was actually just like the place you drove through on the turnpike. 
Hey, Delco, going to the airport, going to Philly. <laughs> I never stopped in Delco. Um, and I remember I was moving here, and I was talking to my neighbor out in Glenside, and I was telling him about our upcoming move, and he asked me, where are you moving? I said, I'm moving to Havertown. And he goes, huh, Delco. And I said, Craig, I was like, you care to like help me understand what that, huh, Delco was about? Like, what's behind that? And, and he's like, well, I don't know. I just grew up with Delco kids down in the shore and they just like partied harder or something. Like he couldn't really explain it. He just goes, it's just Delco. Um, and I don't know. Some of you maybe could help me. Like, I'm curious. What would you say is Delco? Like, it's Delco. It's Delco. See, it's, it's, it's all it is. It's just like, it's Delco. Like, There it is. Yeah, that's a story. Right. <laughs> What's that? We say water, not water, right? Right. <laughs> what else? I mean, some of you guys that have been Delco all your life or help me. You just don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Wawa, yeah. Yeah, Wawa. Yeah, look, there's a story, right? There's something that we all kind of come to know. This is Delco. Havertown has a story. Some have called it Have No Town, but I think that's changing a bit recently. Um, Many, this has been a great, a great place, like you said, a place of family and to raise your kids. It's a multi-generation uh, town. Kids buy their parents' houses or the, the ones down the street, right? Um, uh, there was a story recently. Somebody said, uh, written about Havertown, it says it's a real place. It's a real place. It's kind of a throwback. Another, another said, it's like the best of the 1950s. Kids still get set up play dates by knocking on each other's door, and their parents all know each other well. Havertown has a story. So what's your story? What's playing out in your life? What's the script that you're buying? Is it the American dream? Is it consumerism? Life is about my consumption. People are just there for my enjoyment. Materialism, life is about accumulating stuff. Life is meaningless, just do whatever. Keeping up with the Joneses. Making the best possible life for your kids. How many parents understand that pressure? Just life is all about making your kids happy. Like that's, that's, a, that's a story. That's a script. Performance. I've got to be perfect. I've got to perform. Anxiety. Life is about anticipating the, anticipating the worst possible outcomes. How many maybe have given into that story at times? There's a story, a script. And we as a church, we exist to join God's story of redemption in our neighborhoods. That's our mission. Some will call this the gospel. So if you hear us say the gospel, that's a good word, it's a biblical word. If you hear us say the gospel or redemption story, we're talking about the same thing. So while some other stories out there are valuable and they bring truth, we believe the most complete story is found in the life and the death and the resurrection and the kingdom of Jesus. So I want to take the next 10 minutes and I want to blaze through the story of redemption. Um, and I want to do it with a little thing you might remember from eighth grade English class, maybe. Anybody ever seen this? Like the, the, the um, are you, what do you teach? Math. Math, no. Uh, it's, it's the elements of a plot. Like what makes up a good plot, a good story, right? Um, and so here we go. You ready? Can you, can you hang in with me? Listen, if you need a notebook, I think we have some, or there's, you can use the back of your piece of paper or whatever. I just want to encourage you to engage this morning. So in the beginning of a story, we have what's called the exposition. 
the exposition. This is where like the characters are introduced. You start to see what's unfolding. Basic circumstances kind of handful. And you always start with a protagonist. This is the main story, the main character of the story. And I want to suggest to you that the main character of the story of the Bible is God, particularly revealed in Jesus. Some might say, well, isn't the main character us? Well, I think that's our individualistic mind doing that, (laughs) putting us at the center of the story. The main character of the Bible, the redemption story, is Jesus. And in Genesis 1, this is the creation narrative, the main character who has existed before time began, he creates everything, good, right, and beautiful. That's the beginning of the story. All right, you got it? God, the protagonist, creating all things in good, right, and beautiful. Now enter the antagonist. And somewhere here, uh, some would call this like the complicating incident or something like this moment where there's some conflict introduced. And the antagonist is the opposition that the protagonist must contend with. This is Satan. This is what the liar. This is the rule of the world. There's 25 titles in scripture uh, uh, for Satan in scripture. Satan is this beautiful creature who's become impressed with his own beauty. He wants to be God. And so actually the first sin is really Satan. The the first sin, the the first sin, really, the the first rebellion is really Satan attempting to usurp God. And so then Satan, he's he's tossed aside and he is, um, he now is is the ruler of the world, right? The God of this age, or some might call him. And and he enters the scene, um, comes up to God's image bearers, and he tries to usurp God's kingdom for his own gain. This is an M.O., he comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, did you really think God meant that? Did, you really, did God really say not to eat from that tree? Like, what kind of God is that, that he would put limits on you? Come on, eat it. It's not going to lead to death and destruction. As a matter of fact, if you eat it, you're going to know all that God knows, and you will have his power and his position and his authority. And you can see what he sees and know what he knows. So here's our complicating incident. Now we see two kingdoms at war with each other. Kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of heaven. We're starting to set up a pretty good plot. And of course, we become willing participants in the kingdom of darkness. We, you and I aren't innocent. We rebelled against God and we took a stand against his loving reign. And all things get thrown out of whack as a result of it. The world is not as it should be. If you, I was reading an article about this shooting this week. And one of the students that was trapped in that school... While this was going on, he was leaving, he was quoted as saying, what kind of world we live in? And I feel the pain of that. I feel the ache of that. Well, we live in a world that's affected and it's infected by sin, by the rebellion. And now listen, sin, we have to define sin because some of us, we believe sin is just this like moral thing. No, sin is actually the consequence of our allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. Sin is the result of a world that's been running on our self-will and self-reliance and our self-love. It's the disease that runs deeper than just our behavior. You follow me? So sin, is, we, we can't just associate sin with, with our misbehavior. Sin is, a, is something that runs deeper than that. So next, we've got, our, we've got our conflict, our introduction. So now we have what we call the rising action. And this is, this is the story of Israel. And this is where we see this, there's threads of hope start to emerge. God makes a promise to crush the serpent 
through a descendant of Adam and Eve, through a human. See, his intention from the beginning was to rule the world with humanity. So in order to set humanity free, he would have to defeat the enemy through a human. And he promises to do that through Abraham's family. That family would grow into a nation that's called Israel. And all through the Old Testament, you see God moving in action toward this family, toward those open to receive him. And we read in Psalm 72 this morning, this is a beautiful foreshadowing of the coming kingdom. See, in the Old Testament, there's an ache for, the, for God to be victorious. We read, help the poor, God, vindicate the afflicted, crush the oppressor. There's this ache all through the pages of the Old Testament for God to come and set up the good life of his kingdom. Except they failed too. Instead of trusting God's loving reign, they were overcome by the rebellion. Time and time again in the pages of the Old Testament, we see threads of hope, we see a picture of Messiah, and then we see time and time again it end in failure. So the conflict increases, the rising action. And this is what 75% of the Bible is. It's the story of Israel. The story... This story is an unfinished story. Uh, Leslie Newbigin says the Old Testament is a story searching for a conclusion. So next, we reach the climax, right? This is the moment in the plot where the, the protagonist and the antagonist, they, they, it reaches their head. And so what happens at the end of the Old Testament? It, the, 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 the people of God have lost their land, their exiles, um, their enemies have overtaken them. The God who's drawn near for centuries appears to go dark. And we get 400 years of silence. No prophets, no kings, no burning bush, no Ark of the Covenant. Silence. All these things that come to symbolize God's presence seem to be gone. Friends, this is epic. Like, think of good movies that borrow from this. Good movies, good sports competitions, right? Where, where it appears the evil side has won. Right? That's what's happening here at the end of the Old Testament. It appears that, that God is, is, is gone, that the evil side, the kingdom of darkness, is, is one. All hope seems to be lost. Yet then, in the midst of silence, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of the apparent victory of the enemy, God breaks through in the most obscure kind of way. And we'll explore the incarnation in our Advent series in a few weeks, if you join us. But God enters our world. He becomes flesh. He enters our brokenness, our hopelessness, our doubt. He enters our very frame. The God who has been in action, all drawing near throughout the whole Old Testament, comes even closer. And Jesus, in his humbled humanity, he does what no human could do for themselves. He lives that good and beautiful and perfect life. He declares that he was the king they had been waiting for, and his kingdom is now at hand, we read in, in Mark. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. It's close. And he embodied the kingdom. He didn't just go around preaching it. He lived this thing. And see, in his kingdom, there's no blindness, so he gave sight to the blind. In his kingdom, there's no sickness, so he healed the sick. There's no sin. He forgave sin. There's no marginalized. He befriended the weak and the, and the hurting and the poor and the sinner. There's, there, in his kingdom, nature is at peace. The creation comes in order. And so you see him calming the storms. 
In his kingdom, there are no evil powers. He's casting out demons. In his kingdom, there is no death. He even raised the dead. Friends, he didn't give in to the rebellion. He didn't give in to the rebellion. And so we killed him. A good God shows up in humility and walks in love, and we kill him. Though he was innocent, he was murdered, crucified, hanging on a cross. And over that cross was put a sign, and it read, The King of the Jews. And they meant it as mockery. But what's interesting about that sign is God was making a statement that this is the way of the kingdom. Self-giving, sacrificial love is the way of my kingdom. And the king of that kingdom is the man hanging on this cross, Jesus Christ. And so to save us from death, from sin, from the powers of darkness, God himself enters death. Think about that. A God who couldn't die has to take on a human nature so that he can die, so that he can destroy death from the inside. Anybody ever seen Men in Black? I, I don't know why this, where this came from, but there's this scene at the end of Men in Black where this, they're fighting this like giant insect and Tommy Lee Jones' character is standing there and he's like, eat me, eat me, eat me, right? And, and of course this big bug eats him and he blows the thing up from the inside. And that's kind of what God does. He enters death so that he can destroy death. Hebrews 2 says, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery. Friends, he doesn't stay dead. On the third day he rises from the grave, he destroys sin, conquers the curse of our rebellion, crushes the powers of darkness, and is now seated on the throne as a king. If we could sum up this story and give it a title, it would be, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That is the climax. Then we get to what we call falling action, but before that, I want to talk about the resolution. Okay? Because in 1 Corinthians 15, we read this morning, we see where this is all going. We see, we know the end of the story. It says, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Death has been swallowed up, and it read in verse 28, God may be all in all. One day Jesus will come back, and he will resolve all conflict. He will put what's broken back together. He will untwist all that's been twisted, wipe away every tear. There will be a renewed body. You will have a renewed body, flesh, blood, and you will exist on a renewed planet where people from every tribe and tongue and nation will live their lives under the lordship, under the title, Jesus is King. Where our relationship with God, with creation, and with each other is restored. But now, we live in the falling action. The church. We live in what we call, the church has called for, for centuries, the already but not yet. Say that with me, the already but not yet. So what happens in the meantime? Well, we read in, Matthew, in Mark Reading today, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Though it doesn't quite look like everything has changed yet, those who have eyes to see 
would see that God is present and at work and the kingdom is here. And Jesus says, repent and believe this news. Do you have faith to see God at work? That God is present in our suffering, in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our failure? How do we join the story? Well, we just need to repent and believe. We start with our powerlessness, with our brokenness, with our weakness, with our need for Jesus. We admit that we have rebelled, that we have joined the powers of darkness. If Jesus is king and his kingdom is defeating darkness, where have we been in touch with that darkness? Where have we been in touch with the power of darkness and destruction and death? Dallas Willard called that thinking about our thinking. Thinking about our thinking. Where have I pledged allegiance to myself? Where have I tried to hide my deepest wounds and needs from God and others? Where have I submitted to the rule of darkness? If God is really present and at work, if Christ is really king, then there's nothing we need to do to prove ourselves to God. So think in light of that. Think in light of that. Repentance isn't self-loathing. It's not beating yourself up. It's trusting that the loving God is available and that his kingdom is at hand. That it's close. And that God is willing to meet you right where you are to heal and deliver and renew. All we need to do is trust And realize the kingdom comes to those who are poor in spirit, who know they need God. And so we have to, just like Jesus, there is a descent before the ascent, right? And that's our way too. This is our way too. It's why this cross is here every Sunday. It's a reminder to us that this is the path. We too must descend if we want to ascend. If we want to find our lives, Jesus says we have to lose them. If we want to go up in the kingdom, we have to go down. The gospel demands our humble response. So where are you today? Where's, where, what's your story, friends? In some ways, this whole plot line is our story. We have to remember we were created good. Some of us act as if God made us bad or if, or if there, we were from the very beginning created bad. No, we were made good, right, and beautiful. And I want you to see that because of what Jesus has done, now God sees you the same way. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read it. It said, um, just as in Adam all die, and in Christ all will be made alive, so the image of God has been restored in you. There's nothing you need to do. It's been done. Verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. You don't have to earn it. You can stop striving, stop working so hard, and just get swept up in the story. Can you do that? Can we do that this morning? Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says, are you tired? I love Eugene Peterson's version of this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that Jesus doesn't ask us to figure it all out before we join the story. He simply says, come, walk with me. Let's just go on a walk together. Let's go on a journey together. Let's process life together. And in that, we learn to live freely and lightly. We call this grace. Nothing we needed to do. It's a gift. But you know what? In ancient gift-giving culture, grace and gifts always warranted some reciprocation. Now, don't hear this the wrong way. See, this isn't a, this isn't a um, well, you know, Jen, this is my sister Jen, by the way. Uh, Jen would give me a gift, and now all of a sudden I feel, gosh, I am indebted to Jen because she's given me a gift. I have to respond and give her something because I have guilt and, and this feeling of shame over the fact that now I have to make do on this gift, right? That's not it. It's not it at all. It's Jen has given me this beautiful gift. Wow, she loves me. I've been so blessed by this gift. I want to give her something now. I want to bless her. I want to honor her. I want to bestow gift on her because I love her. And now all of a sudden, this this exchange becomes a connection and love-giving interaction back and forth. Could you imagine? It would probably never end, right? Like, she gives me a gift, and then I go, oh, I want to give her a gift. And then I I give her a gift, and she goes, oh, that's awesome. He loves me. I want to give him a gift. And this is kind of what marriage is about a little bit, right? (laughs) Um, But hopefully. Uh, but, But this is a back and forth. It's this blessing and giving each other and it's not thanks God for what you've done and I'll just sit here and receive it it's no thanks God for what you've done now here everything I have is yours we call that worship everything I have and, and, and we receive the gospel daily weekly it's why coming to worship on Sunday is so important it's why we come to the table every week it's why we get together in what we call DNA groups with two or three other people and process life. It's why we get together at tables in the neighborhood because I need to be reminded daily, weekly that God is good and there's been a free gift. And now I just throw my life in again, afresh into the story. So I don't know where you are in the process this morning. I just want to say, come and walk with us as we walk with Jesus. Come and take a step of belief in the story of redemption with us. Jacqueline, you guys can come. Where's my wife? We'll get a two-minute warning for the kids. I don't know who's doing that. Just hang in there with me. We're a little longer than we normally are, but this is opening Sunday. So, um, Jesus embodied the kingdom. John, it says in the book of John, and uh, Eugene Peterson says he moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Jesus, the word became flesh, and it moved into the neighborhood. You see, we work out this way in a particular place with a particular people. And when Jesus ascended, he left this kingdom, this message, this story, to the hands of a bunch of weak and broken individuals that he empowered with his very life through the Holy Spirit. And he said, go and live out this Jesus way in the neighborhood. Come work with me and do as I do. 
Cross boundaries, love enemies, serve the least of these, be present with children, listen well, ask questions, make time for silence, tend conflict, stand for injustice, put down the sword. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Hold loosely to your resources and the things of this world. Give away your stuff. Focus on the log in your eye before you deal with the speck in another's. And rejoice in suffering, for in that you are like me. We're going to take the better part of 2020, and we're going to, we're going to become reacquainted with this Jesus. And we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to have a sermon series that I think I'm just going to call it The Words, Works, and Ways. Words, works, and ways. We just want to, we just want to explore the words and the works and ways of Jesus and, and, and ask ourselves, how do we join this story in our place that God has put us, in our neighborhood, in Havertown, in Delco, wherever you are from? Because we realize this isn't a Lone Ranger mission. We need each other. And not only do we need each other, friends, our neighborhoods need us to learn how to be God's collective people. Jesus said they will know that you are of me because of your love. See, we are a sign pointing to the neighborhood that this kingdom is here, that we read this morning, and it's at hand. This is what the church is about. This is why we plan a church, just, just a sign to say, Havertown, the kingdom is at hand. Come away. If you're tired, if you're burnt out, if you're worn out on religion, just come. Just come. So we help make sense of what God is doing in the world. And we invite others to join this great story of redemption. That's why we have meals in the neighborhood. We want to be a people of our community. So you have a connect card with you. You have one of these cards today. I want you to, I want you to consider how you might join the story. Where are you in your journey? Do you need some more basics? Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I get the story. I see how it's unfolded. So how do I do this thing? Mark it off. Can you commit to show up here on a Sunday? Because I, I think this helps. What we All the stuff we're doing this morning, I really believe in it. <laughs> I hope so, right? But I believe this. If we do this week in and week out, we actually, over time, will look like Jesus. So come, just help us. Commit to serve in some way. Just show up and worship with us. Would you like to be part of our neighborhood meals and mission in the neighborhood? Are you ready to be accountable? Maybe you want to jump in with a couple other people and just we just learn how to read scripture, listen to God, tend to each other's hearts and wounds. So I want to take a few minutes as we prepare this morning. Our, we're going to come to the table together. I just want to ask you, how can you join the story today? Where in your life have you given into the story of rebellion and darkness? Take a moment and see how the Holy Spirit might nudge you about ways you can surrender and ways you can turn from self-reliance, from the other stories and restory your life. Where do you need God's mercy this morning? Take a moment. His mercy triumphs over judgment.
Let's hear these words again from Matthew 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely.